Welcome to the Weird and Wicked podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kristen. And we're two sisters with a passion for the mysterious and the unknown. On our podcast, we'll explore killer cases and the most puzzling phenomena. Come with us down the rabbit hole where we'll take a magnifying glass to the most bizarre, unnerving, and unbelievable stories. From true crime and conspiracy theories to ghosts and cryptids, we'll cover it all. Today, we'll be sharing the story of Brittany Wood's disappearance. This case is really crazy, so buckle in. Warning, this episode contains topics such as mysterious disappearance, sexual abuse, and mentions of suicide. It is strictly intended for mature audiences only. Be advised that the following content may be triggering to some listeners who are sensitive to such topics. We can all prevent suicide. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, please call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988 immediately. This story is recounted from a number of sources that are listed in our show notes. Our discussion on this podcast is based solely on our own research and conclusions. Listener discretion is advised. It's Wednesday, my dudes. Yes, it's Wednesday. (laughs) And you know what that means. Yep. Another crazy story for you guys. (laughs) It just doesn't stop. (laughs) Yeah, no. I love and I hate unsolved mysteries, I think. But I guess if it's unsolved, that means that we have a chance to help get the word out and hopefully find some answers. That's true. Yeah, I definitely feel that. So let's just get right into it. Brittany Wood was born in 1992 in Mobile, Alabama to her parents, Chessie Wood and Wally Hank. Brittany was Chessie's only daughter. Because of this, Brittany was super close with her mom to the point where they were like best friends. Besides her, Brittany had two brothers, one older and one younger. Seems like a really happy family. Yeah, and although her parents were divorced, her dad continued to be supportive of Brittany. Even his wife, Brittany's stepmom, would care for her sometimes. We don't know much else about Brittany's childhood, but we do know that Brittany was a very loving and caring person and absolutely adored children. She was just the kind of girl who was super good with kids and had that motherly instinct. At the young age of 17, Brittany actually had a child of her own, a little girl named Peyton, who was her entire world. It was very evident that Brittany loved her daughter a lot. Although her mother was super nurturing, the source material does point to the fact that she didn't grow up in the healthiest environment, sadly. During her childhood, Brittany was molested by her maternal grandmother's boyfriend, The boyfriend, thankfully, was sentenced to life in prison for what he had done. Her mother states in hindsight now that she truly thinks that her daughter would have been, quote, safer in a crack house, end quote, Mm. compared to the environment that she grew up in and just having to live through that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the most ideal thing (laughs) to happen to you. Yeah, it's actually super sad. I'm not sure how old she was, but I think she was fairly young, like maybe early teens, yeah, something like that. I think all the source material was just saying like in her during her child at some point throughout her childhood, mm-hmm. this happened to her. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, and clearly, her mom was 
like super sorry about like she felt so bad that her daughter had to go through that yeah gosh Brittany would kind of bounce around living with other family members at different times on the evening of may 30th 2012 Brittany had been staying at her mother's house when she began to pack up a few things her mother asked her where she was going and she said that she was going to visit her friend courtney in the Peacock docuseries, her mother, Chessie, says that Brittany seemed aggravated or frustrated when she left. When Chessie asked what was going on, Brittany responded by telling her mom that she wouldn't understand and that she would be back later. Chessie recalls Brittany leaving between 7 and 7.30 p.m. and had a tote bag with her. She couldn't rem- remember standing in her front yard and watching Brittany walk across the yard then down her street, Leonardo Drive, and then taking a right turn onto Tillman's Corner. This is the last time Chessie would ever see her daughter again. Brittany has never been seen or heard from since. Yeah, so I guess, like, obviously it was normal for Brittany to, like, bounce around, hang out Mm -hmm. at different people's houses, maybe stay there for long periods of time. So I don't think Chessie was super worried at first because she did this um so I can yeah. only imagine like she thought everything was kind of okay even though um Brittany seemed a little bit off when she was leaving I don't think Chessie yeah. like really thought too much of it at that time at least right she probably just thought like oh maybe because she mentioned she was going to her friend Courtney's house so like mm-hmm. maybe like they had a little spot or something she was just yeah. going to like settle it and stuff but that's true um, and also, Brittany at the time had a daughter, and so she's pretty much an adult, like, really young mom, mm-hmm. but she can pretty much do whatever she wants, so it's yeah. not like her mom's going to be like, no, you're staying, where are you going? Like, yeah, you can't go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. So on June 1st, just two days after Brittany left, her, hun- her uncle Donald Holland who was her mother's brother, was found Mm -hmm. clinging to life in a secluded area of the woods inside of his SUV. He was in the driver's seat with a gunshot wound near the back of his head. He was airlifted to a hospital in Pensacola, Florida, but despite this, he did not survive his injuries. Backtracking just a bit, I wanted to note, because I thought it was super weird, I found that according to the family, when they were there with Donald, for whatever reason, Wendy Holland, <clears throat> I can't speak, Wendy Holland kept asking Donnie where Brittany is. And every time her name was said, Donnie's brain activity would spike. I mean, nothing can be proven from this, obviously, but mm-hmm. it was just something I found super weird and definitely wanted to share and add. Yeah, I thought that that was super odd, too. Like, maybe he was feeling guilty and he couldn't. Obviously, he couldn't speak or Mm -hmm. be, like, coherent for this. And hearing her name was, like, stressing him out. Or maybe, like, did he subconsciously want to tell them something? I think it's crazy. But obviously... It just makes it it seem like he knew something. Like, something is there that he's Mm -hmm. not sharing. Yeah. And they were saying, like, every time they said her name, it would spike. Consistently, right. mm -hmm, It wasn't just like randomly doing this when they were just talking and whatnot. So, Mm -hmm. we love talking about these cases with our listeners. 
If you want to join the conversation, follow us on our socials at Weird and Wicked Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and Weird and Wicked on Twitter. All right, now back to the episode. Interestingly enough, Holland was found 30 minutes before he was scheduled to meet with an investigator regarding an ongoing sex abuse investigation. So it looked to police as though this was a suicide, considering how he was found and what he was going through with with this whole investigation. Mm -hmm. But there was speculation about the location of the gunshot wound, right? Yeah, so the bullet was shot and entered through the back of his head behind his ear. So some Mm -hmm. think that it's highly unlikely that he committed suicide, Um, but we'll get into that later. What's really weird about his death is that when his wife, Wendy Holland, found him, she didn't call 911 right away. First, she deleted four text messages off of his phone. Super sus. Yeah. Like, who does that? Right? It's not like he's dead. Like, he's Mm -hmm. clinging on to life. There's still a chance he can be saved and you're worried about some texts on his phone. Yeah. Like, what could possibly be, what what could you possibly be deleting? Exactly. That's so important. After getting news about her brother, Donald, Chessie began trying to reach Brittany to notify her of the loss. These attempts were unsuccessful, though. Calls after calls were going to voicemail. Her family began calling that friend, Courtney, that she was supposed to have been visiting those two days prior. Courtney informed them that Brittany had not visited her at all that day. Investigators Hmm. believe that after she left her mother's home, Brittany was picked up by her uncle, Donald, who then took her to his residence at the time. This was located about an hour away from her mother's home, and it's an area referred to as Styx River, which is in close proximity to the Alabama-Florida line. After hearing this, Brittany's family filed a missing persons report on June 2nd. At this point, Brittany had been missing for three days and had not been heard from anyone during that time. Let me be clear here and just say to anyone who's listening right now, if you're in a sticky situation and you have to go do something or see someone that you think might put you in danger, tell somebody. Like, really. It doesn't have to be your friends. It doesn't have to be your family member. It could be, like, just a little note on your desk that you leave behind. Mm-hmm. Just tell somebody. So in case something happens to you, there's a lead to be found. Um, yeah. And tell somebody that you trust, too. Mm-hmm. Don't tell somebody that you think might be might keep their mouth shut if, you're, if you go missing one day. Like, don't tell your mortal enemy, you know? Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people know of the podcast Crime Junkie, and mm-hmm. they always talk about um, the If I Go Missing folder. And oh, yeah. I swear to God, I haven't completed mine yet, but I feel like I this still is need so to do important. <laughs> Even just something like Kristen said, like telling someone if you think you're getting in like a weird situation, telling someone where you are, what you're going to be doing, who you're going to meet with, I feel mm-hmm. like that could be could make such a difference if yeah. anything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's And a if good you idea. are going to ever or if you're ever in a situation where you do have to go meet up with somebody regardless of whether it's safe or not, 
try to go if you don't know this person super well if you don't trust them go in public somewhere Mm -hmm. don't go to their house or their apartment or some random some alleyway like go somewhere public so there's people around Mm -hmm. so in case anything happens at least you're not there alone and you're not gonna be dragged into a van or you know god yeah you don't want that to happen because it makes it so much harder for the investigation Mm -hmm. yeah and and like we said she's her case is still unsolved imagine if she told someone like what her plans were where exactly Mm -hmm. she was going why she was going there it might be solved by now Mm -hmm. so i feel like it's super important yeah definitely so donald holland's death was ruled a suicide but many including chessie believe that he was murdered given the location of the gunshot wound You see, the entry wound was at the back of his head, almost behind the top part of his right ear. Many people who take a look at this case all agree that in order to shoot yourself in that location, you would have to be positioned pretty awkwardly. It's like Mm -hmm. you can't really, there's no natural way to like, I don't want to get into the details and stuff, but it's just awkward. It's not normal. I don't want to sound morbid, but... Um, you'd have to like your arm would have to be like so far behind you mm-hmm. and granted that's what I'm imagining in my head like somebody yeah. like with their arm way like this or way at least them turning their head which just that's true all of it doesn't seem normal Mm-mm. agreed from the research we found and what was also explained pretty well um, by a firearms expert in the peacock docuseries Typically, people who are attempting suicide with a firearm will not only use a higher caliber, but also point it at a place of the body that would ensure death. Again, not to be morbid. In addition to this, people will will typically choose to sit or be positioned comfortably. Yeah, we don't bring this... Sorry. No, we don't bring it up to be morbid, like you say. Not to use the same word. But we're just trying to explain, like the odd circumstances of his death, Mm -hmm. um, if that makes any sense. Um, Because a lot of people didn't believe that it was a suicide, even though it was ruled a suicide. Mm -hmm. And this is probably exactly what the investigators were thinking going forward with investigating the case, because Mm -hmm. you kind of have to go through all these details. I'm sure there were recreations and whatnot, but... True. The biggest shock to... From this evidence, you can probably agree that Donald Holland's death really didn't line up with this typical behavior found with other suicides with a gun. This led his family and many people in the public to believe that he did not commit suicide, but was murdered. The biggest shock to investigators at the scene is it is believed that Brittany's handgun was the one that killed Donald. Her gun, along with her phone battery, was found in the same vehicle that he was found in. I mean, it's kind of impossible to deny any link between Donald Holland's death and Brittany's disappearance, whatever that link may be. Right. That's the big question. Is is it, was it Brittany who shot him and then ran off or was it a third party person that somehow got in the middle of things Mm -hmm. and killed Donald, took Brittany? Who knows? Two separate law enforcement agencies, the Baldwin County Sheriff's Office and the Mobile Police Department, quickly teamed up. 
The Baldwin County Sheriff's Office started an investigation at Donald's house in Sticks River. This was that house that he supposedly took her to. This search began on June 6th, seven days after Brittany went missing. What they found inside confirmed for them that the missing young woman was indeed there at one point over the last few days. They found her tote bag with her belongings inside. But this was the only trace of Brittany. Investigators were unsuccessful in finding any other physical evidence in this house. Eight days later, the Baldwin County Sheriff's Office conducted the first full-blown search of the surrounding area of Sticks River. This included the yard and the surrounding area. I'm not exactly sure how far they searched, but it was kind of like a woody area. They were searching mm-hmm. all that. The former Baldwin County investigator, Eric Winberg, who was the only person from law enforcement to participate in that document in that docu-series, believes that Brittany was killed or died in that Sticks River house. When visiting the house after the search, Chessie and other family members of Brittany took note of a freshly poured concrete slab that was somewhat of an addition to a pre-existing slab. It was newer and was done in a sloppy way and had disturbed dirt and soil near it. Chessie believes that her daughter's grave is underneath that freshly poured slab. So they think that whoever potentially killed Brittany and her uncle, they buried her in concrete right there on the property of that house. Yeah, and if that's true, it's so creepy because mm-hmm. it's like right there in plain it's sight. Also, it's also so weird too because, I mean, if it is true, maybe they were just trying to like stage something going on between Brittany and Donald, but mm. why would they only bury her there? Why not just, like, have them both disappear? Yeah. It's just, like, another question. Maybe to frame him because he right. committed suicide. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, while not a lot of evidence was gathered at the Sticks River, River home, phone records helped paint a clearer picture for police. So, on the day of her disappearance, Brittany was texting and making calls throughout the day and into the evening like normal. But around 11.30 p.m., communication seemed to have stopped. At exactly one, no, at exactly 11.36 p.m., Brittany's incoming calls began going to voicemail. Investigators were also able to find out that her phone pinged twice in the Sticks River area around 12.07 a.m. that same night. It wasn't until June 15th, a day after the full-blown search of Sticks River, that authorities got some new information that would lead them elsewhere. Nine days after Brittany went missing, investigators received updated phone records which indicated that Brittany's phone pinged for the last time in Grand Bay, Alabama, at 1.47 a.m. that night she went missing. The location of this last ping stood out to investigators as well as her family because this was much closer to where her mom's house was located. Suggesting that she or at least her phone battery was brought back over from the Sticks River area about an hour away to be disposed of. Along with this information, the phone records show multiple calls to and from Bradley, her cousin. His phone number was also the very last number that Brittany's phone had an outgoing text to. This outgoing message was at 1.47 a.m. and was that last ping in Grand Bay. When questioned, Bradley claimed that he didn't remember what they talked about and cannot recall. Okay. 
How do you not remember? Just you guys wait. So soon after he was questioned about this, he got a new phone and a new phone number. Like, yeah. Oh, sus. A little bit sketchy. How do you not remember? It couldn't have been that long. No, after. it was, it was they were a like couple days. It was like a week later. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way you don't. Unless you're like blacked out. <laughs> True. Which there's no reports of that anywhere. So he didn't say anything like that. He was actually questioned in that docuseries on Peacock. I, By the way, I think it's called Monsters in the Shadows or something. Yeah, Monsters in the Shadows, I think. Yeah, um, he was questioned. They didn't really go into this with him, but they did mm-hmm. go into it with Chessie. And she's, like, super sussed out by it, which mm-hmm. totally, I totally get. Yeah. It's weird. There's obviously something weird there, too. We are always super excited to learn about obscure conspiracies, creepy ghost stories, and really anything that will keep us up at night. So if you have something you'd like us to cover, fill out our case submission form on our website. Now back to the show. So not only was she texting and calling her cousin Bradley, she was also in contact with her daughter's father named Andy. According to Chessie, Brittany and Andy's relationship was, quote, the most negative relationship two kids could possibly have, end quote. Other family members also agree that the two had a volatile relationship. This is unfortunately all the evidence that we have available now. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not enough. There's yeah, no physical evidence. There's some circumstantial, like her stuff being at that Sticks River house, mm-hmm. the texts and the pings. But unfortunately, that gave like investigators no answers. It kind of just ended for the the investigation kind of just came to a halt at that point because there was just nothing conclusive. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, it kind of got overshadowed. So I'll get into that right now. Remember when we mentioned that Donald Holland was due to meet up with an investigator on the day of his death? Well, he was under suspicion for a number of offenses at the time. Not only was Donald Holland most likely getting charged with sex abuse of a child, but the investigation into him uncovered an absolutely heinous truth about Brittany's family. On February 26, 2012, about three months before Brittany's disappearance, one of Brittany's uncles, Scott Wood, reported sexual abuse of his niece to police. He came forward with text messages that proved that Donald Holland was sexually abusing his own daughter. On March 5th, 2012, Eric Winberg, which if you don't remember, was also an investigator assigned to Brittany Woods' missing persons case, was assigned to the sex abuse case. And this was the guy that Donald was supposed to be meeting up with that day. Mm Mm-hmm. During this investigation, it was found that some members of Brittany's family were conducting a full-blown sex traffic ring, which typically targeted their own children, nieces, and nephews. It was eventually found that 11 of Brittany's family members were arrested in connection with this ring and were considered to have participated in various crimes against their children. Four of those still remain in prison, and police believe there were over 30 child victims that came from this organization. 
Ugh. It's so sad. It's sick. There's nothing worse. Disgusting. It has been publicly stated that the sex crimes and her disappearance are indeed connected. They don't necessarily know what the connection is, but they came out publicly stating that, so they must know something that we don't know. Right. You can find a lot of information about this online, but we won't be going into it too much because, honestly, this is what really overpowered Britney's case, if anything. I understand if they are connected, then we need to do a thorough investigation, but it seems like after everyone was convicted in this sex ring that, like, everyone just moved on from Britney's mm-hmm. case. And kind I think just it's really about. They kind of just forgot that she was still missing. Like, we yeah. still don't know where Brittany is. Um, I couldn't, I really couldn't believe that there were more sources about the trafficking ring than there were for Brittany's case. Like, I know yeah. that that was really big and it's really, really bad. Mm-hmm. But it's like, there's still a girl missing. Yeah. I get it. It was like a, a very horrific discovery. And mm-hmm. our hearts do go out to all those victims as well. But Brittany is still missing to this day. And it's just so sad. Yeah. In the 11 years since her disappearance, there have been multiple tips sent in and searches conducted, unfortunately with little result. In 2014, the Mobile Police Department processed evidence from a car that was found and thought to have been related to Brittany's case, but nothing came from the search. Three years after Brittany was last seen, Chessie was suggested by someone ground-penetrating radar in order to search the slab she was suspicious of. And five years later, law enforcement agreed to allow a search of the concrete. Unfortunately, this yielded nothing. I was going to say, so that theory is a blunder, Mm -hmm. as Chad would say. A blunder. (laughs) That was a blunder. (laughs) Yeah, they go, they actually do, they show a lot of the search um, in Mm -hmm. that docuseries, which was really interesting. And they did find something, I forget what they call it, but it was like, kind of um, like a promising, I don't know what you would call it, but it almost looked like as if they found something while they were doing it. But Mm -hmm. then when they like went back and went through all the evidence detailed, um, they didn't find anything, I guess. Which it just sad. turned but, out to be nothing, basically. Yeah, but it's very interesting to see, like, the procedure and the protocol for that. They go into that, like, really in-depth in that docuseries. Mm. More recently, in 2020, a tip was placed based on an age progression image of her that led to investigation into a residence located in Grand Bay. Once searching the property, cadaver dogs picked up a scent in the area, which led them to begin a dig at the site. Again, nothing was uncovered in this search. Once more, another dead end. Mm-hmm. Even after these 11 years, her phone has never been found. Brittany is suspected to be dead, but she is still considered missing. Her case remains unsolved and open and is currently managed by the Mobile Police Department who is still dedicated to following up on tips and information regarding her disappearance. Chessie, to this day, is very vocal about her search efforts for Brittany, and luckily has a large number of family members and friends who are dedicated to raising awareness and assisting in search efforts. So the more attention we can draw to this case, the better. Yeah. 
I don't I don't think it's super reported on. Like we said, it was all about that sex trafficking situation Mm -hmm. and it just really overshadowed what was happening. Yeah. Like what her family was doing to try to find her. When it comes to any allegations regarding Brittany's disappearance, there is one main theory held by both investigators and her family. This is that Wendy and Donald Holland teamed up to kill Brittany to prevent her coming forth with information and proof of the family's sex ring. It was found that just a few days before her disappearance, Brittany was messaging a fellow victim saying that she was ready to expose the ring publicly. Because of this evidence, many of her family members believe that Brittany had planned to confront Holland that day and that he killed her to avoid any allegations spreading. He then killed himself to avoid any charges. The former Baldwin County investigator Aaron Winberg believes that if anyone knows about Brittany's disappearance, it's Wendy Holland. Mm -hmm. We touched on this slightly, but Brittany's family feels as though the sex trafficking ring completely took precedence and was made a priority over finding her. In addition to this, her close friends and family firmly believe that Brittany would not have just walked away from her life, and especially her daughter. Remember, yeah. like, we can't forget. She literally, if she did walk away, she left her daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's just highly unlikely, um, considering she was a really loving, caring person. Yeah, and I'm a firm believer that two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead. There are so mm-hmm. many people connected to this case, and it's only so long before the guilt catches up to someone or somebody knows something and confines it confides in a friend something right. like that it could definitely happen for sure i i feel like wendy holland knows more than she is letting on i feel I like she's so kind too. of playing the victim in a way like oh my mm-hmm. husband died like number one why are you deleting text messages off of his phone when he's mm-hmm. literally dying sitting next to you and number two she was involved with the ring that Brittany was a victim of Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that Wendy or Donnie killed Brittany to keep her quiet about the allegations. Yeah. I think especially, it's possible. Especially if Brittany was messaging <clears throat> the victims saying that she, she was ready to expose it. Um, anyone could have caught on to her and tried to nip it in the bud before it got out, you know. Or maybe she confronted Holland, Donnie Holland that day, and Mm -hmm. he just, like, freaked out and was like, I got to shut this down. She's going to go out with all this stuff, and I'm going to be locked up. Mm -hmm. But who knows? It's crazy. Also, just because Wendy is already in prison doesn't mean she can't face charges for Brittany's case if she was involved. Mm-hmm. The family deserves answers, and Brittany deserves that justice. I agree. I mean, not sure if we can find anything out, but like we said, somebody has to know something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's just a matter of time before someone comes forth out of guilt, out of just confiding in somebody or if they like realize something they didn't realize before that Mm -hmm. always happened or not always but that can happen frequently 
If you have any information about Brittany's disappearance, please visit missingbrittany.com to submit a confidential tip or call the Mobile Police Department at 251-208-7211. And also for anyone who's just listening, not watching, that's um, Missing Brittany, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y.com. Mm-hmm. And like we mentioned in the disclaimer, if you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or is in a crisis, call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. It's never too late to get help, to find programs, toolkits, fact sheets, and other resources to help you take effective action. You can visit the links in either the show notes or the description of this video. Well, we are leaving you guys with an unsolved case, but we hope you enjoyed tuning in with us and we will see you in the next one. Yes. Thank you for watching. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Weird and Wicked podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you drop a like and leave a review. And make sure to subscribe and follow us on all of our socials so you know when the next episode is up. What they found inside confirmed for them. Blah. I literally can't talk. <laughs> I don't know if it's okay. the mirror is just not being used <laughs> to recording.